Good morning. Our um, reading today is from John 17. Uh, it's verses 20 to 26. On the Church Bible, it's page um, 1085. And it's titled, Jesus Prays for All Believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I think he's talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks Lydia for reading and for Nick for the press too. So we're now going to um, hand over to Josh. This is Josh Inslee, who um, worship, worships at King's Church, um, and he's got our message for us. So shall we just pray as we... Um... Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that your Holy Spirit will be with Josh, that you will guide him, give him the words today that you have for him and that you have for us, the message that you have for your people here in this place this morning. Help us to be listening, help our hearts to be open to what you have to say to us this morning, because we ask it in your name, Amen. <coughs> Thank you. Isn't it uh, wonderful to be all together this morning? And uh, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been involved in making this happen because it really does take everybody, every team, to uh, put on a service like this, working together, uh, sometimes, you know, working out how do you normally do it, how do we normally do it, how do those things mesh. Uh, and I really feel this morning that God is just so thrilled to have so many of his believers joining together to worship him all in one place. I'd like to particularly thank the sound team 
uh, because my mic has been on for the whole morning and no one heard my dreadful singing, uh, which, is, which is a blessing for you and saves me from some embarrassment. Over uh, the last few weeks and months at the King's Church Chesham, uh, we've been looking at the subject of the Kingdom of God. It's a narrative that starts right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and is still present at the end in Revelation chapter 22 verse 21. And I did have to check that is the last verse of the Bible. (laughs) You know, but at the moment what we're focusing on is what are the lifestyles and actions that it requires to really be the king's people. If we are people who belong to the kingdom of God, how does that impact how we live and how we see the world? And today, fittingly, almost as though someone plans these things, we're looking at the topic of unity amongst believers. Unity within the kingdom of God. And we just heard read beautifully this passage where Jesus, just before he's arrested, He prays for the disciples, those closest people to him, and then he turns his attention to everybody who will come to believe in him. And it's clear from what he says that central to his appeal to the Father is that all those who believe in him will be united. The reality is that there is only one kingdom of God, and all those who come to faith through Jesus who receive forgiveness, are brought into that same kingdom. We are one people, whether we like it or not. (laughs) You know, we need to accept that central to God's design for the world, his desire for us, is unity. Division isn't something that arises from God. Division is something that entered into the world with our sin. So we need to strive for unity and not division. The difficulty is that humans have perfected the art of being divided. We're really, really good at it. You can see it, even uh, sports fans fighting each other over what is basically a group of people kicking a ball. But we're so good at division that if you look back through human history, every area of society in every part of the world has had some form of division present. It's inescapable. And I'd love to say that as Christians, we've managed to rise above it. But unfortunately, even just a cursory look at the history of the church in England will show plenty of examples of people who claim to believe in God attacking other people who claim to believe in God, even, unfortunately, to the point of Christians killing Christians. It's not how it's meant to be, and although today we might think we've risen past that, we still see division so often. I'm 28, I'd like to pretend that's still reasonably young, Um, and even I have experienced division in the church. I remember when I was a teenager coming down to London to be part of a mission trip, uh, serving in communities that were uh, slightly worse for wear, 
And the aim of this trip was to do social action to help people and to share the gospel, especially with other teenagers. And there were only two people from my town that gave up a week of their summer holiday to come and be part of this trip. I was one, largely because my mum worked for the organisation that were running the mission, and so (laughs) someone had to go. Uh, But the other person was a girl who I didn't actually know before we got to the train station. And she was lovely. And during the week, we did social action together. Uh, We ran kids' groups. We told people the gospel and we were part of this wonderful team of uh, teenagers from across London, but also we had people come over from Brazil, uh, from Holland. It was just a wonderful picture of the unity of believers serving other people. But then one day I found this girl crying uh, just before dinner. And she was crying because she happened to be a Catholic. She went to the Catholic church in our town. And one of the other teenagers on the uh, trip had discovered this about her and seen it as such an issue that he needed to kind of pin her down and set her right. And he had basically told her that she wasn't a real believer. He didn't really care that she was doing all the same things he was doing that she'd given up her week in the same way that he had given up his week, or that what she was saying was the exact same gospel, because I heard her say it, that I was preaching and that he was preaching. And honestly, like all he achieved was making a teenage girl cry and feel alone among people who she thought were her brothers and sisters. And that has stayed with me. Because disunity harms the faith of other believers. And worse still, it doesn't just harm our own faith, it also sends quite a worrying message to non-believers about what our God is like. Because if we can't get along, then what does that claim about, what does that say about the king we're claiming to serve? Are we divided because God can't make his mind up? Are we divided because God picks and chooses and plays favourites? And perhaps most dangerous of all, if we can't get along with those who are supposedly closest to us, who we will be worshipping with for eternity, then what does that say about how we feel really deep down about people who are even more different to us? There are two barriers to unity among believers that I'd like to focus on this morning. Because I really believe that if we allow ourselves to believe either of these things, they will promote disunity and stop true unity from growing amongst us. The first, the first barrier is a belief that unity requires uniformity. And that unity cannot exist if there is difference between people. You might be relieved to hear that to be united as believers, we don't have to be one great big homogenous beige megachurch. In fact, I really believe that our differences can not only exist within the scope of Christian unity, but our differences can help highlight the real beauty of Christian unity. 
After all, if God wanted us all to be the same, exactly identical in preferences and personality, he would have made us all the same. And he really didn't. I love cooking. And when I was younger, uh, one of my jobs at home was to cook the family dinner once a week because my mum had to work late. And she would leave the ingredients out for me. The only issue is the ingredients were always the same every week. I think she was trying to make my life easy. Uh, I think she probably thought that if it was too difficult, I just wouldn't bother. Um, (laughs) But she would always leave out a packet of mints, uh, some tins of tomatoes and some fresh veg. And at first I thought, great, spaghetti bolognese every week. I can make spaghetti bolognese with my eyes closed. I love spaghetti bolognese. Bish bash bosh. Really easy job. But it's amazing how quickly you can become bored of spaghetti bolognese. (laughs) And and rather than asking my mum to buy different ingredients or leave different things out, uh, partly because I thought she'd forget, uh, I started to turn to my good friend Google and look up different recipes by ingredients. You know, it's amazing how many different things you could make from a base of mince, tomatoes, and veg. You've got spaghetti bolognese, chili con carne, keema curry, American-style sloppy joes, and they really are sloppy. Don't eat them with a white shirt on. Um, You've also got things like cottage pie, and all of these dishes at their heart are made from the same key ingredients, but with a few different distinct dashes of flavour or herb or spice. Sometimes, a bit like this morning, you could even have a fusion dish where you have spaghetti con carne or something similar. I have tried that, don't. Um, At their heart, all these dishes are fundamentally just as good for you, just as tasty, tasty to eat, and just as nutritious as one another. They are different, but in all the ways that really matter, they are the same. I really believe that that is a picture of how, as the church, we can be united as one people, even though in our communities and our expressions, we will have distinct flavours. You know, I really love worship like we had this morning, uh, with a big band and guitars and drums and all of that. I know that some people really don't. In fact, Some people love worship with little to no music at all. They love reading poetry, having periods of long reflection and silence. Other people love uh, uh, traditional worship with organs and hymns. We're all different, but ultimately, as long as we are all worshipping the same God, proclaiming the same truth, and living for the same kingdom, We can have different preferences, different ways of doing it, and they're all equally good. Difference only becomes a problem when we let it, when we decide that it's not important to understand each other, and we don't need to accept each other's preferences and personalities. I'm struck that Jesus' prayer that we just read in John 17, 22, is that believers may be one as Jesus and the Father are one. 
And without delving too deeply into Trinitarian theory, because it goes completely over my head most of the time, uh, we believe that there is only one God. But that God is expressed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, if we are to be united in the same way, is it not possible to be one church, one body of believers, but expressed in different local communities and flavours? So let's not allow difference to become a barrier that causes disunity. And the second barrier I want to talk about is similar, and that is disagreement. And while difference relates often to who we are and how we like things, disagreement is much more focused on where we stand on particular issues. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that to be united with someone, I have to agree with them on everything. But that's not what we see in so many other parts of life. Uh, My wife, Karis, led worship today, for those who don't know. uh, And when we started dating, we talked about all sorts of different things. We talked about small things like our favourite foods, how often do you want to eat spaghetti bolognese. Uh, We talked about bigger things like our hopes, our dreams, our plans for the future. Did we want kids? We even touched on one or two theological issues that we knew that one of us felt really strongly about and we needed to make sure that we understood each other on. Now let me tell you, we disagreed on quite a lot. As one example, Karis loves cheese. I think that cheese was sent by the devil purely to attack me. (laughs) I I want to say from the front, Right? If you like cheese, you're just being sold rotten milk at an extortionate price. <laughs> but we didn't just disagree on cheese. We also disagreed on some bigger things. And yet at the end of the day, we both separately and together came to the conclusion that we wanted to be united together in marriage for the rest of our lives. You know, we've, we've been uh, married for seven years now, which is, in the grand scheme of things, not that long, but man, it feels quite long to us. Um, and, uh, and we're doing quite well, I think. Uh, we're doing quite well. We're, we're currently expecting our first baby. Um, and, uh, and Karis finds it really awkward telling people that, so I decided to do it from the front to save her the effort. Um, but the reality is that we're still united, and as we look ahead to this next stage of what God has for us, I know that we will disagree on a lot more things. But ultimately, ultimately, the things that unite us, our love for each other, our love for God, our desire to serve him and to encourage each other in the unique plans that he has for each of us were so much more powerful than the cheese that we disagreed on. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, there are things that if we hadn't been in agreement about, 
would have made unity impossible. There are things that if we hadn't been in lockstep on, would have meant that getting married would have been a terrible, terrible idea for us both. The challenge came in working out what those things really were and not blowing up little things into a bigger issue than they needed to be. As Christians, there are going to be things that we have to agree on to be united. There are times where we might have to say, look, if being united with you means believing that and doing that, then I'm really sorry, but I've got to take a step back. Now, I'm not shying away from that. And especially if being united with another person means becoming less united with God, we should always choose God instead of the people. But reading Jesus' prayer, it's really clear how important us being united was to him. And so I firmly believe that the decision to separate ourselves from other believers has to be taken with immense care, huge discernment, and ultimately only as a very, very last resort. I uh, am currently doing a, a training course, and as part of it, I've been assigned a mentor. And a couple of months ago, he shared a passage with me that God really spoke through from 2 Timothy 22 to 26 says this, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's easy to forget when we disagree that our aim shouldn't be proving we're right our aim should be turning other people back to the truth of Jesus. And actually, we know, and I know in my own life, that the love and grace of Jesus has an incredible power to transform hearts, minds, and souls. But sometimes the way in which we disagree in itself burns the bridges that might have led us back to unity at a later date. It is really possible to be right on the issue and wrong in the argument. To be right and yet behave in such a way that the fact you're right doesn't matter anymore. Instead, we need to hold on to those words that Paul wrote Timothy and be gentle in instructing each other in love in the same way that Jesus 
lovingly set people right during his life. Sometimes we will need to be firm and sometimes we will need to make difficult decisions. But ultimately, we need to do them from a place of grace. You know, the the reason unity is so important to Jesus is because unity is a powerful weapon for the expansion of the kingdom of God to new people. As Jesus prays first in verse 21 and then repeats in verse 23, he desires his people to be united so that the world may believe that you, the Father, have sent me. And then he says again, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When believers are united, it not only benefits us, it also is a powerful way of demonstrating the gospel. Unity is all about Jesus, because unity cannot exist without Jesus. You know, before Jesus' death, we were disunited, divided from God, separated from him through our sin. And yet Jesus came to give his life, to bring us back into unity with the Father in the kingdom of heaven. Unity is all about Jesus. And so when we are united, we can't help but point towards Jesus because we are different and we do disagree. And if the power of Jesus can bring together people as different as us, as diverse as the church across this world, and unite us into one kingdom, what does that say to people who see it in this divided world? You know, we are becoming more polarised, more divided, politically, socially, in all sorts of different ways. And so by pursuing unity, we're actually pursuing an opportunity to show people that things can be better. And Jesus is the only way. Our unity demonstrates what he was sent to do and is a powerful and wonderful example that his message is true. So the choice before us today and in the coming days is, do we really want to pursue unity? Because pursuing unity can be uncomfortable. It can mean letting some things go. It can mean doing things in a way that someone else might love and you might be a little less keen on. This service is a great start. It's been so wonderful to celebrate together. But if this is where it stops, then we're not really united. Unity has to be a whole heart, whole life endeavour. It can't just stay with a few Sunday services, as lovely as they are and as much as I really hope we will continue doing them in the future. Our unity as a body in this town needs to be bigger and go further. So we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to accept and work through 
our different preferences and flavours of community? Are we really committed to being wise and discerning about when we need to disagree and how we go about it? And ultimately, are we supportive of what God is doing in the lives of other churches and other Christians in this town? It was amazing to hear the notices and some of the things that are going on. It's brilliant that on Thursday we've got a Churches Together event. And as we pray for the town, it's brilliant to pray for other churches (coughs) and to support what they're doing and work together because if we do so, we can take the gospel further and more effectively than we could ever, ever do on our own and demonstrate that there is one God who loves and desires for all people to be reunited in him and in loving relationship. Uh, If the band would uh, like to come up, I'll just... um, This was always God's intention, and you can see that when you turn to Revelation, where we read a beautiful picture of what it's like before the throne of the Father. We read a description of all people from all tribes and all tongues and all nations united together in worship of the King. And so when we pursue unity, what we're actually doing is pursuing a little bit of that right here and right now where we are. So why don't we stand and sing together in worship? of the King. Let's just pray together. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing Believe today and always. Amen.